Welcome back to the Causeway Living Podcast, episode number two, with me, Scott Riley. And if this is not a welcome back and it's your first time here to the podcast, then beat it, nerd. This podcast is only going to be for the cool kids who've listened to episode one in full. Any future episode, you can just jump straight in and it's not a big deal. But this is actually the second part of a two-part episode, which really gives an introduction and a foundation and a bit of background about my personal story and how I came to establish Causeway Living in 2016 and what the podcast is going to be about now and moving forward. So if you're jumping straight into episode two here, it's not going to make all that much sense. Get yourself back over to episode number one, listen to that in full, and then you can join us cool kids on episode number two. I have an admission to make also about this episode. This isn't the first recording of episode number two. Initially, I did a recording of episode one and two together, and I put out episode number one last week. And in the week between putting it out there and it approaching the stage where I'm about to put out episode number two, I feel like I've changed as a person to the degree where it would not be authentic for me to put that same episode out. And for the sake of whatever length of time this episode ends up being, maybe 45 minutes, maybe an hour tops, I just felt I'm going to re-record this and have it more authentic, more close to the present moment me. Because one of the big things that I want to achieve with this podcast is completely selfishly having it as an outlet for my personal authentic expression and ideally encouraging other people to express authentically as well. And really, if I'm going to be encouraging other people to do the same, it's really got to be got to be leading from the front on that point. So here we go again. Recording number two, episode number two. This is the only version you're going to get to hear. The other one's going in the bin. And uh, we'll move forward with a brief recap on episode number one. So uh, in the first episode, we touched a little bit on my childhood and how I came to be suffering a chronic illness in my early 20s, rheumatoid arthritis. And I suffered that for four years before regaining my health in a matter of six months. I did a two month juice fast, so I went 60 days without solid food, drinking fruit and vegetable juices. Around the same time, I booked a flight to go to Peru to work with the plant medicines there, ayahuasca and huachuma. And by the time I was flying out there, I basically put the rheumatoid arthritis into remission. I'd lost a hundred pounds or seven stone, about 45 kilograms, which pretty crazy in such a short amount of time, mostly through the juice fast and continuing to eat a really basic diet for another four months until I was actually flying out to Peru. And in the time in Peru, it was just the most life-changing experience. I, for the first time in my life, connected with a big group of truly like-minded others who were willing to go the extra mile to improve their life circumstances, but also sincerely really supportive of one another and helping others to do the same. From that, I gained a couple of big intentions. One was to come back and find a community of people similar to those that I met in Peru. I gained so much just from that alone that I wanted that to be a part of my life. And the other thing was that what had happened with my health felt like nothing short of a miracle. And it felt like my responsibility to pass that on and help other people. One of the things that the shaman said to me before I left was, go be the medicine in the world. And it took some time to really truly understand that, but in hindsight, I looked on it like, some people are not afforded the life circumstances that I had been to be able to take two months and focus only on drinking fruit and vegetable juices or fly halfway around the world to work with shamans. Some people might have family commitments or other life circumstances where extreme things like that aren't possible. So whenever the shaman said, go be the medicine in the world, it felt like it was my duty to go and help people to heal in a way that I'd been blessed really to, to heal through some of the extremes that I did. 
those are big intentions though. So uh, coming home, I did a health coaching qualification with the Czech Academy, had this piece of paper saying, you're a health coach, determined to go out into the world and fulfill my intentions, but uh, didn't really know how to go about it. I ended up getting myself into my first adult long-term relationship and uh, just adjusting back to life in a healthy body and at a healthy weight. And for a year, I went back to just doing graphic design work. And even though I had these intentions and I hadn't been moving forward with them, I was still like interested in alternative health practices and methods because they brought so much to my life up until this point. I was still listening to podcasts where I would learn more about this sort of thing, like the Joe Rogan experience or like Tim Ferriss and Aubrey Marcus. And probably a year after I came back from Peru, I discovered the Wim Hof method. And the Wim Hof method is something that comprises breath work and cold immersion and mindset training to improve general health or sporting performance. And something that I'm going to go into in its own separate podcast, much more in depth than my experiences with that in the future. But for now, it's enough to know that one of the things that really attracted me to the Wim Hof method was that there's some peer-reviewed scientific studies that showed that using this method could reliably reduce inflammation in the body. And as someone who had suffered chronic inflammation only 18 months prior, I kind of figured like, okay, this might be a good thing for me to learn. And if my symptoms ever come back, then, you know, I can use this practice instead of having to do some of the extremes that I did in the past, having to go another two months without solid food and do the whole Peru thing again with no guarantee that it would definitely work. And even though I had the intention to learn the Wim Hof method, it wasn't really until I had a bit of a kick in the ass to start with an offer to go traveling. So my brother, who I mentioned in episode one, I'd done some graphic design work with in the past, invited me to come and work with him again for three months in California, in China and in Thailand. And this seemed like a good opportunity for me because even though I had my health back at this stage, and I had a healthy body weight again and was in relationship with a beautiful woman who I was in love with at the time, I was still dissatisfied and still had this yearning inside me for something more. And I feel like that was coming from my unfulfilled intentions to be out there in the world and helping people and bringing awesome like-minded others together. Although I don't know if I necessarily knew at the time that's exactly what it was. The feeling was very much there. And if I had this opportunity to at least shake things up a little bit and go traveling for three months, see different parts of the world, it might not necessarily have felt like a step in the direction of fulfilling my intentions, but at least it was something different. <laughs> and uh, I decided to, to take that opportunity, which wasn't actually an easy decision because it meant leaving my girlfriend behind for initially what looked like three months, but uh, eventually we decided my girlfriend at that time was going to come out and meet us in Thailand for the final month. So with that having all been arranged and organized, uh, I decided to take up the offer. And that meant that there was a, a limited window of time when I'd be able to do the Wim Hof Method online course because I didn't know if I could guarantee that I could get cold water in California or China <laughs> and Thailand, all warmer countries. Northern Ireland, on the other hand, guarantee you cold water all year round. <laughs> Perfect Wim Hofing location in the world. And uh, even in the, the middle of summer, our cold showers are reliably cold enough. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> the sea definitely always chilly. So uh, I had to complete this 10 week Wim Hof course before I left to go traveling. And 
it was really as simple as that. I jumped straight into it. And thanks to perhaps discipline that I learned from sticking so strictly to the juice fast whenever I was getting my health back in the first place, I developed this like discipline where I was able to do the Wim Hof method militantly <laughs> strict as well. So I follow that course to the letter. Breath work every day. Cold shower every day. Stretches every day. Meditation, you guessed it, every damn day. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was hard at times. And there were some days where like I hadn't gotten to it in the morning and I had to do it like really late at night. But uh, I did it every single day and even though I was coming to the method from this like slightly pessimistic mind state of like, oh, if my symptoms come back, maybe I can use this thing to improve my health again. Uh, yeah, very quickly shifted into a more optimistic mindset of, oh damn, like my cardiovascular fitness is really improving. Like I can run further and faster and this is the only thing I've changed. And my mental well-being had improved as well. It's hard to say in hindsight whether that was because I had this opportunity to go and travel ahead of me, but uh, at least in part that, but also definitely in part thanks to the Wim Hof method and the resilience that you pick up to to life in general and ability to downregulate from stress. Like I said, I'm going to cover more of this in a specific Wim Hof method episode in the future, get a bit into the science and my experiences with it but the 10 week online course was great. And not only for the health benefits, but through the Wim Hof method, I was actually starting to connect with people again for the first time since Peru who were really like willing to go the extra mile to improve their life circumstances. And you could tell were really sincerely dedicated to helping other people do the same. I posted about doing the Wim Hof method on social media, just on my Facebook personal page at the time to give myself some public accountability to stick to it. And an old school friend, David Gilmore, big up David Gilmore, <laughs> he listened uh, to episode number one and sent me a nice message. So personal shout out to you, my friend. Um, David Gilmore changed my life. He, he put me in touch with another friend of his. He saw my post on social media about doing the Wim Hof method and got in touch with me to say, oh, I have a friend in America who's doing that thing as well you guys should get in touch. And that guy was Tony Flo Real, <laughs> somebody who would uh, come to be one of my best friends in the world. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, you know, the contact I'd had with Tony initially was pretty limited, you know, seemed like a nice guy. I asked him a couple of questions about the method, knowing that he'd finished the 10 week course shortly before I just started it. And that was all well and good. And we connected on Facebook as well. But at the time when I was just going out to America, I noticed on Facebook that he posted an image from San Diego Cryotherapy Center. And to me, that felt like a meaningful coincidence. Like I'm going out to California to work near San Diego. And here's this guy I've connected with who is in San Diego doing Wim Hof shit, <laughs> like cryotherapy. <laughs> So I decided to reach out to Tony and say, hey, you know, I'm coming over to San Diego soon. Let's grab lunch. And uh, thankfully he was very up for that as well. And like, it was just one of those moments where it was like meeting a soulmate friend. And if you have never like experienced that or have any doubt that soulmate friends or a thing you just haven't made one <laughs> like we hit it off instantly and spent about four hours after having lunch just sharing all these wild stories like my ones from the juice fast in peru and tony had all these mad stories about traveling the world and working with this electro microcurrent machine with professional athletes and yeah he's going to be on the podcast <laughs> one of these days in the near future to share some of those stories as well but it was incredible. You know, this was like another person in my life, just like the guys that uh, I'd stayed in touch with from Peru. And interestingly, towards the end of the lunch I had with Tony and the time we spent talking together, he said to me that he was putting together an online group of his own with two of his friends, Paul and Keppa. 
and Tony and his two friends were creating this group called Tribe Shift, which uh, was bringing people together very similar to the way that I had the intention to do of uh, finding people who were looking to improve their life circumstances but wanted to support each other. And Tony invited me to be a part of this group, which at the time I thought, oh, that's cool. That's similar to the sort of thing that I'd like to do. Yeah, I'm in. Cool. I don't know really what I can offer, but um, uh, I'm game. And figured, you know what, if nothing else, you know, I'll be able to, to gain a lot from this, even if I'm not really sure exactly what I have to offer, other than perhaps an inspiring story. And we'll see. Uh, thankfully, the group started to come together pretty quickly after I'd met Tony. And I feel like it was a couple of months, maybe about the time that I was arriving in Thailand. So I completed the rest of the work that I was doing with my brother in California and then in China and finally moved on to Thailand. And it was this time that I was invited into this tribe shift group where I just came to it with full humility and sincerity and explained my story about getting my health back from chronic illness and the fact that I'd gone and done this health coaching qualification and didn't know what to do with it and I wanted to learn from some of the people in the group because there were people in that group who were basically fulfilling my intention in their own lives you know they were out in the world helping people like amazing others like somebody who also became one of my best bros Casper uh, van der Moelen, who a Wim Hof method, who was a Wim Hof method instructor, and had his own book, and yeah, basically doing the damn thing that I wanted to do. <laughs> so I figured I could learn from guys like Casper and others in the group just by coming with my humility and and being open to learn. And I asked the question and got lots of awesome encouragement and you know one thing led to another and decided to put together what ended up being Causeway Living. I had you know suggested names back and forward and uh, got feedback on things like the logo so the original hexagon c-shaped design that uh, you might have seen on the t-shirts or the hoodies if you follow online or if you have one of your own, I guess, as well. And uh, yeah, it all came together. Basically, I was putting together the final touches of the Causeway Living First Draft website and uh, the social media platforms, having them all set up by the time I was leaving Thailand and arriving back home almost in time for my birthday, September 4th. So I figured like that's a perfect date to launch Causeway Living on my then 29th birthday. And I was just really sharing the story that I have done up until this point in the podcast. I'd also put up the details of my Czech qualification and was seeking one-to-one -one health coaching clients. And I was regularly posting interesting content to the blog and social media feeds because back then the Wim Hof Method really wasn't that well known. So whenever somebody was posting a picture of themselves in an ice bath, it was even more novel than it is now, or like a video of getting in and being able to do it very calm and focused and get back out again, or do these elbow lever postures, this one arm balance thing that I'd learned through the Wim Hof method as well. It started to gain some traction and other interesting things that I was doing around the time of the start of Causeway Living I had been invited by Tony and Casper and some of the other Tribe Shift guys to come out to a speaking event again in California and share my story. And this all really uh, lends to like the credibility of what I was doing at that time, you know, going out to the US to do public speaking and one thing led to another. I picked up a couple of one-to-one -one clients early on and not long after that decided to put together an online course using the principles of what I'd learned through my Czech Academy qualification. 
I call that course six week shift. So a little bit of a nod to the tribe shift group. And it involved looking at like these six pillars of health. So hydration, nutrition, sleeping, breathing, moving, and thinking. Looking at a different one of those pillars each week and aiming to develop a positive habit in that area. And the idea was you would like stack up these positive habits in these six areas of things that you will do pretty much every day anyway. You will drink, eat, sleep, breathe, move and think throughout basically every day of your life. So why not just look at optimizing those six things and the idea being that if you do so, you'll create more energy for yourself to use in whatever which way you want, create better opportunities for yourself and just be a better version of yourself to make the most of those opportunities whenever they arrive. And it was a, a really good program. There was a lot of very good information in there, but uh, with limited success, because one thing that wasn't included in that program was something that I only really came to learn about in more recent years. And like information isn't enough. Most people already kind of know what to do to <laughs> look after their health, but they don't do it. And there's generally uh, deeper work to be done in first understanding like, why am I eating the way I'm eating as it is right now? Why am I limiting the amount of physical movement I'm doing each day You know, in the present moment? <laughs> it's not enough to just know like, oh, I should do some exercise each day or I should probably cut out refined sugar. You know, there's uh, there's some underlying reasons about why you're choosing to do those things. Like, why am I choosing a more sedentary lifestyle? Why am I choosing to, you know, eat foods that are not good for my body? And it might be something like a good reason psychologically that provides comfort and ultimately uh, is a, a crutch that gets a person through. And <laughs> if you just try and kick that crutch out of the way and say, no sugar, you know, that's, uh, it might not actually be helping the person until they heal the reason that they, they need the crutch. So this is all part of my learning experience though as well. Like I was doing the best I could at that time with my one-to-one -one work and with the online course. But like I said, with relatively limited success and because it hadn't really picked up with as much success as I had hoped. And I was continuing to do graphic design work part-time and the Causeway Living thing part-time. I knew that I had to keep diversifying, keep trying new things and keep educating myself. And that's when I made the decision to do the Wim Hof Method instructor certification. I had dilly-dallied over the decision long enough where the European certification program had filled up. So I actually had to go and do the first part of my Wim Hof Method instructor training over in the US, which was no big deal because uh, I was going to get to hang out with Casper, who was teaching the other Wim Hof Method instructors, and uh, Tony was going to be there, and we were going to rent an Airbnb and all stay together like uh, when I went over to the US before and was at this speaking conference. And this first part of the Wim Hof Method instructor training was incredible. I was connecting with even more like-minded others, the prospective Wim Hof Method instructors. And it was in this time, I believe, that I met Nima Kalilian, who would go on to be like one of my absolute best bros in the world as well. And I learned a lot. I gained even more experience to take home and implement with Causeway Living. Not just from the science behind the Wim Hof Method and what I was learning there, but even just getting practical suggestions. It was my friend Casper who at that time had recommended that I could go home and even if I hadn't finished my Wim Hof certification because that was going to take another six months, I could just start inviting people to come into the sea with me, something I was doing anyway. The sea is always cold in Ireland and, you know, using my experience with doing the 10 week Wim Hof method online course and what I'd learned in this first part of the 
Wim Hof Method instructor training, you know, I would easily be able to take people in and out of the cold water and make sure that they had a good, safe experience. And this was the seed that had been planted that eventually turned into Dash and Splash. I liked the idea of taking people into the sea, but I also really liked the idea of getting people active outdoors and going for a run first. Because this was something I was just doing anyway, running along the coast and getting into the sea. So I decided to speak to Picky Fun Park, which is this cafe and kids play area that's really near a little beach in Bangor, my hometown, and see if they would be up for letting me get a bunch of people to gather there and store their sea swimming gear while we went out for a run for 30 minutes, come back, get the sea swimming gear again, get down to the beach, get in the water, and then we'd all come back up to that cafe and have teas and coffees. So they kind of got the benefit out of some extra customers as well. And on week one, I had no idea how many people were gonna turn up. It was just gonna be a couple other crazies who were <laughs> up for doing the wild thing of getting into the sea in autumn in Ireland. And you know, that might seem like a fairly normal thing to you listening now if you're in the UK and Ireland, sea swimming's this like normal ass thing that just regular people do all the time. But back then, like 2017, the only people who were sea swimming were like, uh, these elderly people who'd been doing it all their life and people kind of looked at them as a bit eccentric or there might have been one or two like sea swimming groups of again mostly older people uh you'd get some hardcore like triathletes and stuff but it really wasn't a normal thing to see people in the water here outdoors especially at that time of year maybe on the few actual summer days that northern ireland gets uh, but definitely not coming into the autumn and definitely not in the winter time and it was the autumn whenever I was starting this knowing that the sea temperature is about its warmest here and uh, yeah, perfect to get people moving into the winter and beyond and it wasn't just a couple of crazies that turned up it was about 15 crazies <laughs> turned up on week one and on week two and week three you know it was up to about 30 odd people quite quickly you know within two or three weeks and those early days of dash and splash were truly magical it was open to all different kinds of people like the run wasn't a set distance it was time so you just go 15 minutes out turn around and come back so it's not dependent on a certain ability level. You know, somebody could run really fast for 15 minutes and someone could walk out 15 minutes, but as long as they turned around and went back at the same pace, they could have the same amount of exercise. So it was a really diverse group of interesting people. And I'd say for the first, I don't know, six to nine months, there was maybe a pool of about 40 to 50 people of which maybe 20 to 30 would turn up any given Sunday and you kind of knew who everyone was at least I definitely did anyway because uh, I was leading the thing but uh, it wasn't so big that um, you weren't at least familiar I feel like everyone was kind of familiar with all the fellow team dash and splash guys as they came to be known and we would do exactly that, we'd run, we'd get into the sea, uh, everyone would have a big cheer and <laughs> come out and get changed and head back up to the cafe at Picky and sit around and warm up over hot teas and coffees and just the friendships that were made in that time and even a marriage, you know, <laughs> like that, uh, that was, still is one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of uh, in my life you know setting up uh, dash and splash something that like just came to be known as like this local thing even for people who didn't see swim it was uh, regularly in local newspapers and um <laughs> at that time it was still a strange thing like now again um because sea swimming is a normal thing these like hooded toiling robes are quite normal to be seen on the coast but back then you know like people turning up on a weekly basis on Sundays in these hooded robes to take them off and go into the sea for a <laughs> baptism 
<laughs> led by this mysterious man on the beach saying breathe um, yeah there's no no great surprise that uh, the official hashtag of Causeway Living very, very early on became hashtag not a cult it was very uh, suspicious behaviour <laughs> but hey now everyone's doing it so we were just those uh, cult hipsters back in the day and awesome you know to see how it's grown and taken off but back then you know still a, a very unusual thing and because it was unusual it brought attention to causeway living you know i would post a video from dash and splash every week of the whole group going into the sea together and cheering and all the people who took part were so proud in it they would share it on social media and causeway living continued to grow but at this time in my life, it was all really putting quite a strain on the relationship that I was in. I was having to grow and change a lot to be confident enough to go out to America and do this training and become the kind of person who could stand up in front of dozens of people in their swimming trunks and tell them to breathe fully in, let it go, now follow me, <laughs> and march them straight out into the freezing sea with a lot of confidence. <laughs> And yeah, the trajectory of growth that I was on uh, was not the same trajectory as my girlfriend at the time. And there are different ways to look at it. Uh, I met her at a time where I was already on quite a rapid upward growth curve. You know, I'd lost all this weight and regained my health in the six months prior to meeting her and you know my development continued quite rapidly uh, whereas she was probably a fairly uh, healthier more steady trajectory uh, in the course of her life uh, another way to look at it is we might have just grown in different ways but either way uh, we were definitely growing apart and this was exacerbated by uh, the continued focus of my life of being really around causeway living and less so on her and that's a hard thing to admit to the this passion of mine the intentions that i'd set in peru were a bigger priority to me and that had changed because uh, the stage of my life when I came back from Peru and got into this relationship, you know, it, it, it really was the biggest thing in my life for a time. And uh, in an unhealthy way, it was quite a codependent relationship, which in hindsight also makes complete sense given uh, some experiences in childhood. And again, this is maybe something I'll go uh, more in depth on in a future episode. Uh, the childhood stuff not specifically that relationship <laughs> but uh, yeah I in the months that followed and um, the going away and doing the first part of the Wim Hof instructor training in America I also went over to the Netherlands to do another qualification in natural movement training with uh, these amazing guys called restore human they're a Canadian gym, but they were doing a certification program with Casper over in the Netherlands. So I, I was back and forward to do that and back and forward to Poland eventually to do the final part of my Wim Hof Method instructor certification. And I remember at the time, you know, how difficult that was, you know, FaceTiming back and, and it being difficult. And then things were put under even more strain with uh, my then girlfriend her parents coming over to Northern Ireland for the holiday season not speaking a word of English and not long after that Tony coming to visit <laughs> and, uh, which was awesome but just like it was another thing that like disrupted the old way of living that me and my ex had you know it was just constant disruption of me going away or other people coming here and yeah there were the final nails in the coffin really and it still took time for me and a couple of very difficult conversations to be able to bring that relationship to a full end 
but it was still to this day one of the hardest things I've ever had to do again for reasons that are more to do with my childhood experiences and old wounds and trauma that that uh, touched on but it's also one of the things I'm most proud to have done in my life to have taken that positive action not only for myself but ultimately for her and create space in our lives for something better you know one of the hardest things to do in life is let go of something okay or good in order to make space for something better and it absolutely made space for something better for me I not long after the end of that relationship started making some amazing connections uh, platonic connections uh, amazing guy reached out to me Stephen Bell who owns probably the most incredible gym I've ever been to in my life uh, called Wildfoot reached out because he saw the Wim Hof stuff that I was doing and he was interested in cold immersion as well and I went to uh, do training with him and his partner Aga who is another amazing human being and the kind of training they were doing at Wildfoot was like the same thing really as I'd learned with the Restore Human guys this like natural movement stuff and uh, there's like a lot of training outdoors there as well which was awesome and very much in alignment with my beliefs of getting active outdoors with like-minded others and it wasn't just Stephen and Aga but the other people that I met who were training there like one of my best bros as well Simon Martin who uh, I would love to have on the podcast in the future as well he's got incredible story and it was just a real synchronicity meeting him uh, at Wildfoot too it turned out that uh, two years after I had been to Peru Simon had been to the exact same place and treated with the same plant medicines that I had been to um, which as far as I'm aware might have been the only two people in Ireland to ever been to this very specific place and that we should bump into each other in a gym just outside Belfast <laughs> but yeah we just uh, totally hit it off and um, yeah I, not just Simon but so many other amazing friendships that I'd made through Wildfoot and another awesome human being uh, Chris invited me to start training Brazilian Jiu Jitsu with him and I signed up to Gracie Barra gym in Belfast as well which became another really awesome community but uh, it did interestingly bring me into a period of my life where I probably was over training and to cut a long story short uh, ended up with uh, some chronic shoulder pain which was a pretty scary time for me having suffered with chronic pain in the past and having this shoulder injury that just didn't seem to get any better I had a lot of fear that you know, was this the start of my rheumatoid arthritis coming back and you know I was doing all the things that I could do diving deeper into the Wim Hof method to reduce the inflammation and uh, yeah doing my best but still suffering with this, this shoulder problem and from one thing to another you know the shoulder got better eventually and then my wrist started getting sore only one of my wrists which was like a tendonitis kind of pain and uh, yeah whenever uh, I referenced a book in the first episode when the body says no I feel like it was a very similar process to you know whenever I actually did suffer from rheumatoid arthritis that okay my body wasn't having to scream at me in the same extreme way as the past whenever I had full-blown inflammation all throughout my body but my body was still saying like look here asshole something isn't right and you need to pay attention ultimately what I think it was was like reaching this plateau in life because Causeway Living had you know continued to grow albeit really slowly I was running regular Wim Hof method workshops at this stage and some of my own specific causeway living workshops in the Mourne Mountains near my home 
and this was going okay but I was having to like post a lot on social media to promote these workshops and uh, even when I was turning up to the workshops having this imposter syndrome because I was telling this story of like hey I'm the guy who had chronic inflammation and now I'm good and here's some good stuff you can do because I'm the guy who got his health back and I know what's what about health <laughs> I'm saying all this uh, not so much in those words but uh, projecting that across despite the fact that like I had chronic like injuries myself at this stage and wasn't really openly sharing about it I would mention it now and again uh, through the social media stuff but uh, I wasn't owning it fully and not in my full authenticity and even though this was a difficult period for me I knew I was still helping people you know I would still get amazing feedback and responses from the workshops that I would do people getting in touch a long time after attending and saying the impact that it had on their lives so even though it was a difficult time for me and didn't necessarily feel 100% in alignment with my authenticity, I was still doing a good thing and still moving forward. And I was still getting new opportunities as well. I was speaking to a huge European professional sports team about doing breath work with them and taking the players in for some cold immersion. Uh, I was talking to a couple of government bodies about doing some team building like events and just as these uh, opportunities were arising that was when the global pandemic hit and all those irons in the fire very quickly cooled off as the world changed which led to another shift for me and everyone in the world really I mean it's impossible to <laughs> go through uh, the global change like that without changing on the inside I knew that I was going to have to pivot with my business because a big part of what I was doing uh, involved heavy breathing in confined spaces with other people and all of a sudden overnight that became one of the most dangerous things in the world <laughs> so uh, uh, I had to change what I was doing and my decision was to uh, revert back to like original OG causeway living. I had it in my head that like, okay, whenever I started this out, it was all about working with people one-to-one -one and I had this online course. Why don't I just go back to that? You know, that's, there's something to that. Uh, I redeveloped my six week shift course and um, a lot of similarities, a lot of the, the, the foundation of it was there, but also looked at some of the underlying subconscious self-image part as well. And again, that was positive and I picked up a little bit more of the one-to-one -one work at that time as well, given that people were going through <laughs> a very difficult time with the pandemic and it became more normalized to work with people online through that. But as I started doing more one-to-one -one work, I felt like, okay, if I'm gonna be, if I believe in the efficacy of online one-to-one -one work, surely I would believe in it enough to be investing in this for myself. So I spoke to a friend that I stayed in touch with from the first speaking event that I did out in the US just after starting Causeway Living, an uh, amazing guy called Kevin Lawrence, and he did some personal coaching with me, which I feel like was the start of this really new phase in my life, where for maybe the first time in a long time, I started going really, really deep inside of myself again, starting to understand my old programs and patterns and eventually ultimately led to some big decisions. One, that it was time for me to start writing the book, the book of the story that I've just given you. And I decided, okay, what I'm gonna do in order to write this book is do another two month juice fast. That will bookend this story. You know, it started with my health improving with a two-month juice fast, I'll finish 
by doing a two month juice fast. I had this idea in my head that like, oh, I know how that's gonna go, it'll be easy and I'll have really good results and it'll wrap up this nice little perfect story of guy loses his health, gets his health back, uh, goes on to help others, bada bing, bada boom, uh, great success. <laughs> and uh, I uh, began that two month juice fast at the end of 2020 due to finish on midnight so like the first time i'd be able to eat solid food again would be uh, just past midnight the very start of 2021 and even though the the juice fast itself was very doable you know i had developed a discipline to be able to do things like this the other side of the juice fast was extraordinarily challenging. You know, the first time I did a juice fast, there was a, a deeper intention about regaining health and uh, I came to it with maybe more respect. I also, the first time around, had this trip to Peru ahead that I knew I'd be able to uh, maintain a really like good, solid, diet on the other side of the juice fast whereas this time I didn't have something to look forward to like Peru and whenever I could eat again I wasn't so strict and just found myself like eating like crap food you know which wasn't really like me and uh, I'd lost all this muscle mass <laughs> from doing the juice fast and just ended up in what I'd consider like actually not great shape for the first time in a long time and <laughs> my idea for the the book of this like nice little perfect ending uh basically got gone completely out the window uh, the writing process the idea of like completing the book within the two months of doing the juice fast which was the idea uh was quite frankly in hindsight ridiculous <laughs> to put this story that I've told in much much more detail into a full book in two months while doing this uh, quite extreme fast um, wasn't realistic and then on the other side of the fast you know the the whole idea of the end of the book had changed and honestly I felt a bit lost and <laughs> I thankfully around that time started doing some more therapeutic work with an incredible person who I'd love to have on the podcast in the future as well, Dr. Ashley Query, who was doing some compassionate inquiry work with me, which is Gabor Mate's uh, protocol. Uh, Ashley had trained with Gabor Mate, again, the author of When the Body Says No, in this compassionate inquiry methodology, but also brought a wealth of experience from all kinds of other areas into uh, therapeutic practice that really helped me through this challenging time of questioning myself and questioning who I am. You know, I'd become so identified with this story of like, I'm the guy who got sick and got his health back and now it's my job to help others. Well, is it? <laughs> it's is that me? Is uh, is that just a story I've created, <laughs> uh, persona? And it was through this kind of work and some more work that I did with Kevin and more recently with uh, an amazing therapist who I gave a shout out to at the last end of the last podcast, Sue Galvin, that um, I just continued to keep diving deeper into an understanding of the nature of the self and of consciousness and the nature of all things and it's led to a, a really interesting end to the book as it stands at the minute the book is still some way off being finished but like all the ideas are there for the the final chapter there's a draft written out for the final chapter and you know ultimately though the <laughs> The moral behind the book, uh, the book is, you know, this personal story and my understanding of the nature of the self and of all things as a result of this lived experience. But the moral really is that, you know, reading this book and hearing this story is not going to lead you to an embodied knowledge of that understanding of the self. 
and the only way to do it is to go out and live your own story and that's going to be a big encouragement <laughs> to, to to you the listener of the podcast you know how much are you consuming and listening to others when perhaps you could be listening to your own intuition you know this is something that i want to dive deeper into in future episodes more about the nature of the self and uh, how to get in touch with your intuition and how to differentiate between that and maybe a voice that's actually just fear inside <laughs> masquerading as intuition and talking about intuition that really leads to the point of why we are here me speaking into the microphone and now you listening to this podcast <laughs> my intuition told me that I needed to step more into this authentic self-expression. I'd done a lot of work over the last 18 months to understand who I am, but now it's an important part of my process to express who I am. And I'm continuing to unpack that and understand that in deeper ways through my therapy and the meditation that I'm doing. And that's what I'm hoping to, to share ongoing in the podcast, like the new depth of understanding that I'm finding and my process around that because from week to week I'm sharing these like long form updates with Sue my therapist and she had told me that she'd find this like really fascinating and um, that you know, I know the quality of my writing is very good and, and my expression. And rather than just sharing this with Sue and with one person who I absolutely will continue to do that with in a solo way with her to, to help me unpack things and um, to gain a better understanding. But also I could be doing a form of that with you and putting this expression out into the world and not just storing it up for some book that is some way off as <laughs> at the time of the recording of this podcast. So if you've enjoyed the last two episodes of this podcast and want to hear even more, maybe even if it's specifically going into parts of the story that I've touched on lightly over the last two episodes, but you want in more detail like the Wim Hof method or the experiences in Peru, my personal experience, but maybe just some more of the science and to get a, a deeper in-depth knowledge, then what you can do is jump over to causewayliving.com slash podcast. There's a form to fill in there where you can contact me and leave some feedback and let me know what you'd like to hear in future episodes. You can also encourage and support the podcast by leaving a donation there as well. There's some options to do a recurring donation to keep these weekly podcasts coming or a single one-off support. And other ways you can support the podcast is just by leaving a good review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this or taking a screenshot of it on say Spotify if that's where you're listening to it and posting it to your Instagram story. I'll share that out on the Causeway Living Instagram story if you tag me in it. Tell a friend, spread the word, and let's see where we can take this thing. It's gonna get better from week to week with practice and experience. I think the first two episodes haven't been too shabby, so <laughs> let me know what you think, and I hope to have you back next week for the Causeway Living Podcast, episode three, with me, Scott Riley. Until then, have an awesome week. Take care, much love, and peace out.